Welcome, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. This is Brother Jimmy Fortunato, and you're listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us on the web at pilgrimbaptist.church. Good morning, morning, morning. Okay, so we are talking about the resurrection. We did that in Sunday school. We had some appropriate songs this morning, and New Testament Christians have always celebrated the resurrection. And we should celebrate the resurrection every day. We don't have to wait for one day a year to make a big whoop-de-doo out of it. And we're going to see that this morning. Christians celebrate the resurrection every day. It's essential to the gospel. We're going to learn about that this morning. And it's essential to the Christian life. But Christians are one of three groups of people that are known for celebrating things. Christians have always celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Pagan Rome has always celebrated a festival called Easter or Istarte. And the Jews have always celebrated the Passover. So we're going to get a little bit of understanding on those three things, and then we're going to dive into the meat of our message. Let's get Acts chapter 12, and we're going to look at these two different groups of people. We're going to try to get some understanding. We're going to see if there's an error in the King James Bible. Let's see. Acts chapter number 12. And you want to get Exodus 12 on your other hand. Exodus chapter 12. All right, so Acts chapter number 12. Let's start at verse number 1. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews... He proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. Now watch verse 4. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. And so now in chapter 12, verse number 4, People will say, you see, look, there is an error in the King James Bible. That is a mistranslation. That word Easter should actually be Passover. Because if you look at the Greek lexicons, they will have that translated as Pascha, which is Passover. The only problem with that is you have to look at all the lexicons. Hislop has it translated as Easter. Oxford's uh, Greek English dictionary has it translated as Easter. Luther's Bible has it translated as Easter, but nobody corrects his Bible. So I want you to put that thought aside for a minute because I want to park on another point. Look at what came first. So I'm going to ask you the question which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first, Passover or the days of unleavened bread? And let's see if we can clear up if this is a mistranslation in our Bible. So which came first, Passover or the days of unleavened bread? So let's look at Acts 12, verse number 3. And when he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. 
Then were the days of unleavened bread. So we have unleavened bread first in Acts 12. Now let's look at verse number four. To keep him intending after Easter, if Easter is supposed to be Passover, now we have Passover as second. So in Acts chapter 12, if Easter is supposed to be translated as Passover, we have days of unleavened bread first. Everybody see that? Verse number three. And then we have Passover second. Let's go over to Exodus chapter 12 and let's see what God's law says. And let's see if we can make a connection. Exodus chapter number 12. Verse number one we'll start with. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. That month is a B. We can see that in Exodus chapter 13, verse number 4. Verse number 3, speak ye. Verse number 3. Unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Goes on. We're going to come all the way down to verse number six, and we're going to read there, and it says, And ye shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. So we're looking at day 10, verse number six. We're all the way up to day number 14. Everybody see that? And then you'll read about all what they're going to do. And now look at verse number 11. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So that's day 14. That meal they're eating and they're calling it, the Lord, and the Bible calls it in verse number 11, the Lord's Passover. It's the celebration of the Lord's Passover. What came first in Exodus 12? The Passover. Let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Verse number 15. Let's go down to there. And it says, And this day shall be unto you for a memorial... And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. This day, that was that 14th day. And ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Now look at verse number 15. Seven days. We just had the 10th through the 14th. We just had the Passover. And now look. Seven days shall ye eat unleavened bread. Even the first day ye shall put away leaven out of your house for Whosoever eateth leavened bread from the first day until the seventeenth day, that soul shall be cut off 
from Israel. And in the first day, there shall be an holy convocation. And in the 17th day, shall there be an holy convocation to you. No matter of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. Verse 17, watch this. And ye shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For in this selfsame day have I brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore shall you observe this day in your generations by an ordinance forever. Now watch verse 18. In the first month, on the 14th day of the month at even, ye shall eat unleavened bread until the one and 20th day of the month at even. So at the end of Passover, guess what they're going to go into? From the 15th or from the 14th evening to the 20th at evening, guess what they're going to go into? The days of unleavened bread. Now, why did I read all that and say all that? Because Exodus chapter 12 and God's law, when he lays that out, what comes first? Passover was first, followed by the days of unleavened bread. I say that to say Acts chapter 12 verse 4 can't be a mistranslation because they have it the other way. If Easter was supposed to be Passover, then they've got it backward. And you actually now do have a problem with the King James Bible. But if you leave it alone, if you leave it at Easter, you have... Easter in Acts chapter 12, verse 4, guess what pagan Rome always celebrated? Easter. It was a pagan celebration in worship to the sun. Guess why Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday or whatever people choose to call it changes every year? Because it's following the sun and the moon and all of that. That's why it's a different day Every year. Did Jesus Christ die, rise from the dead on a different day? Every It doesn't make any sense. So, in Acts chapter 12, we don't have a mistranslation in the Bible. It's exactly how God would have it intended. We have Passover first, one day on the 14th, followed by the days of the unleavened bread. It wouldn't be backward. It wouldn't be backward. Now, according to the Bible, Christians celebrate the resurrection, and we should continually celebrate that, Every day, we're going to see how it is so essential to the gospel in our Christian life. But before we get into that, let's get Acts chapter 2 and Galatians chapter 4. Acts 2. Acts chapter number 2 and verse number 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Every day, continually, every week, continually, every month, continually, every year, continually, we can't lose sight of doctrine. Essentially, this morning, the resurrection, fellowship, breaking of bread, 
and prayer. Christians all over can't lose sight of that's what we have to have our focus on. All right, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse number 9. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? Ye observe days and months and times and years. I am afraid of you, lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. Is any day more important to you than the Lord? Is any day more important to me than the Lord? It shouldn't be. We can't gain acceptance or we can't gain merit by observing a day. Now what do you have? Jews that have celebrated feast days and they've celebrated Sabbath days and now there's the New Testament. They're trusting in Jesus Christ. They're saved. But do you know what they had in their family lineage and their family history all throughout the ages? Feast days, Sabbath days, all of these things which can easily become more important to them than the actual Lord Himself dying for their sins. So it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter where we come from. Jesus Christ is the one who should be exalted and get all the praise, glory, and honor. It is easy to observe days and gain acceptance from different people groups. Or from grandma who wants to send bonnets and dresses and all. It's, okay, it's fine. All that's fine. But where is our merit and our acceptance with God. It's not by observing a day. All right, Matthew chapter 15. Jesus is speaking to the religious Pharisees. And he says, verse number seven, ye hypocrites. Well, did Esaias prophesy of you, saying, verse number eight, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Tradition shouldn't trump God. Tradition shouldn't trump the Bible. If tradition doesn't go against the Bible and tradition doesn't go against God, fine, have at it. But we all need to be careful, no matter what it is, if our tradition starts to rub against God's word, we got to let God's word get the better rub, no matter what it is. But you know what Jesus is keying in on so importantly here in this verse? He says, ye hypocrites, our mouths and our lips say one thing, but our heart is saying a completely opposite thing. 
And God says, that's hypocrisy. So boys and girls, what's more important? What you say or what your inner desire of your heart is? The inner desire of your heart is the most important thing. Not observing a day, not saying something with your mouth, not lipping something with your lips. What's in your heart? What does that say? We have a risen Savior, something New Testament Christians cannot lose sight of any day because it's essential to the gospel. Let's get 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Without a resurrection, we have no gospel. No gospel or no resurrection equals no gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 14. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. Nothing you say means nothing. If we don't have a risen Savior, everything that I'm doing right now, it's meaningless. It's a dog and pony show. It's nothing. We're just killing time, having a social gathering. It's nothing. The evolutionist who makes fun of the Christian on TV now rightfully can get laughs. Yeah, they believe in a fairy tale. Ha, 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 ha. The evolutionist is right with no resurrection. Everybody can laugh at that and be justified in their laughter. But there is a resurrection. And there is a gospel. And you can't preach the gospel without the resurrection. It's absolutely, fundamentally important. The resurrection if there is no resurrection, verse number 15 of 1 Corinthians 15, then the apostles were a bunch of liars. Verse number 15, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so, be that the dead rise not. No resurrection, apostles, liars. You and I, liars. Let's go over to Acts 2. Let's see if they told the truth. Two thirty-two. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Acts chapter 10, verse number 39. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the, in the Jews and in Jerusalem 
whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but unto witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from the dead. Risen Savior. Not a fraud. Apostles weren't liars. The resurrection is absolutely essential to the gospel. If not, you and I, verse number 17, we're dead in our sins. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. You got a vain faith. You and I have a meaningless faith. And you and I are still dead in our sins if there is no resurrection. But there is. And that's what we have to offer people. If you had someone that would go to a cross and die for the sins of mankind, and he said that he's going to rise again on the third day, and he doesn't, we either have a risen, glorious Savior who should be exalted and worshipped and lived forth to the best of our abilities, or we have an absolute nutcase psychopath that we're following who hasn't raised from the dead and is some psychotic masochist. And the evolutionist has a rightful claim with no resurrection. But we have a living Savior. And that's the dividing line between Christianity and all other religions. The Savior arose and we cannot lose sight of that. We have to think about that more often. Look, and I get as much... We're not going to have the egg roll and the Easter egg hunt and we're going to, oh, I know, Christ rose from the dead. Let's paint eggs. That's a, that, as much as we're not doing, as a church, still, do you know how much this culture wants to remove Christ from everything? That's why it's X-masked because they don't want Christ that's why they want everything with bunny and eggs and no resurrection Sunday. Look, I know, I get it. It's not connected. It's sun I get all that. But at the same time, our culture doesn't want anybody mentioning the name of Christ. That's why it's all Rudolph and Santa and bells and whistles and winter, winter fiesta. And that's why now the world is, it's all bunnies and eggs and rabbits. And what about Christ? What about Christ? What about Jesus? Can we say his name? Can we talk about what he did? They want to silence it all. So as much as I'm against, because I've done some studying, some reading and some getting with God, as much as I'm for Let's mention the name of Christ because that is essentially what people need 
And it's absolutely what people want to get rid of. Verse number 18, not only are we dead in our sins, verse number 19, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. You got no hope. You're better off believing that rabbits actually do lay eggs. I mean, really, you're better off believing that because you've got no hope. I've got no hope. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, we've got nothing. No payment for sin, no hope. We've got a vain faith. It's meaningless. Forget it. But we do have a risen Savior. We do have something to be hopeful for. People, Christians, I should say, shouldn't be miserable. Verse 18, we are of all men most miserable. No, resu no resurrection, no risen Savior. Great, you have a right to be miserable. I have bad days, I have bad weeks. Anybody else have bad days or bad weeks? We all do. But we shouldn't be in a constant state of, I'm just miserable. My life is miserable. Everything's miserable. My friends are miserable. My job is miserable. I don't like anybody because I'm miserable. I'm Mr. Miserable. Hmm. Everybody's against me. I'm miserable. You shouldn't live like that as a Christian. If there's no risen Savior, you got the pass. But there is a risen Savior. So there's no reason for you to be most miserable. There's no reason. And that's why I say the resurrection should be thought about every day. That's the hope. That's what gives you a joyful life, not a miserable life. Don't you get it? I mean, he is a, he's alive. He's risen. He wants you to live for him. That's so important. You can't think about that once a year. Who are you living for? Who are you living for? Verse number 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Why go through the ridicule? Why have Christians gone through the persecution throughout all the ages if there is no risen Savior? It wouldn't make sense, but there is. And also, why not just indulge in everything and all that the world has to offer? Because we do serve a risen Savior and we do want to honor Him and we don't want to just let ourselves go and indulge in everything that would bring us away from Him. No matter what it is, The Amish, the Mennonite, or the groups that, you know, they don't, they don't want electricity. 
And I've talked to Amish and Mennonite people. I'm sure you have. And I asked an Amish person one time, do you think electricity is sinful? He said, no. I just think that if we have electricity, we can easily indulge in worldly pleasures more easily. I thought that was a pretty good answer. So you know what they do? They just draw the line all the way back here. And you know what we do? We draw the line right here and we say, yeah, we don't want our kids watching this type of movie because it can open up doors to other things. We all draw our line somewhere. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you I know where the line is. But I do know that all of us can easily get away into the next thing you know, we're out indulging in things we shouldn't be. Where's the line? I don't know. I don't know. But I know this. I've got a risen Savior, and I want to live for Him. So if I need to go further this way on the line, I'm going. If you ask me, should I go further this way toward the line? I'm going to say, go. But I don't know where the line is back here. Every man has to determine that. All right, resurrection absolutely happened. It is absolutely essential to the gospel. And we're going to finish up. It's absolutely essential for every Christian to understand why. Let's get Romans chapter number 4. It was necessary for our justification. That means by God's grace, you are accepted by God as righteous. Romans chapter 4, verse 17. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Speaking of Abraham, before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth these things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Verse 23, Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses, watch this, and was raised again for our justification. God pardoned you, the sinner. You're absolved by God. Judgment no more. You're free from the guilt and the punishment that is due to you 
because it's all on the account of Jesus Christ. The atonement made by Christ. Meaning, what Christ did for you. He suffered, died, and he rose again. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Verse number 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. No one can charge you. No one can condemn you. No one can, can accuse you if you're in Christ. He is the one that can justify you and I and every sinner who chooses to trust in him. God pronounces you just in his sight. It is God that justifieth. That's it. You trust Jesus Christ, you're justified. Romans 8 and Ephesians 3. Kids, are you awake? Say, I'm awake. I'm awake. Amen. Romans 8, 11. All right, Romans 8, 11. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Ephesians 3. Verse number 20. Now, unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Ephesians 6.10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Well, how are we going to do that if he isn't a risen Savior? How is Christ going to be living in us if he's not a risen Savior? You see how foolish and silly Christianity would be without a resurrection? How would we get any power to live this life? How would there be any power in the gospel if there's no risen Savior? There wouldn't be. It's absolutely essential. The resurrection. It gives us our blessed hope. Let's get 1 Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter number four, 13. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself 
shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, you shouldn't be miserable because you got the joy of the Lord. But we can comfort one another with those words. It gives us the hope. The resurrection gives us the hope of our blessed hope. And lastly, let's get Romans 14 and 2 Corinthians 5. Romans 14. Last point this morning. It begs the question, who are you and I living for? Romans 14. Verse number 5. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day regardeth unto the Lord, and he that regardeth not the day to the Lord, he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord. He that giveth God thanks, he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived. That he might be Lord both of the living, <coughs> of the dead and living. Who are you and I living for? Look at this. Look. Regarded it unto the Lord, verse 6. Regardeth not the day to the Lord, verse 6. Eateth to the Lord, giveth God thanks. Eateth not to the Lord, giveth God thanks. Who is it for? The Lord. Who are we giving thanks to? God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Seven, who are you living for? None of us should live for ourselves. Well, I just want, I just think, I just like. Well, who cares? What about the Lord? What about God? Does he get a say? Can he chime in and say, you know what? Maybe that's the point. Who are we living for? I do this. Who are you doing it for? I don't do this. Who are you doing it for? Big deal. You don't go on an egg hunt. What are you doing it for? To show others something or because you want to glorify God? And it can go the other way. What are you doing? What do I care? Why are you doing? That's what God cares. What are you doing? What am I doing? How are we living? All right. 2 Corinthians 5.
Uh, verse 15. And that He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them. Period. Is that what it says? There's a comma. And then after the comma, it says, and rose again. Risen Savior. Our lives belong to that. You and I as believers are connected to that. Risen Savior. Who are you living for? Who are you worshiping? Who you get when you wake up in the morning? Who are you excited about? How do you make decisions? Let the risen Savior help us all. Would you bow with me, please? Father God, thank you that we can serve you as a risen Savior. You didn't leave us hopeless, you gave us hope. We love you, Lord. Help us to dedicate and honor and live our lives for you more. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask and pray as you dismiss us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks a bunch for listening. For more information about Pilgrim Baptist Church, be sure to visit us online at pilgrimbaptist.church, where you can also send me a personal message or learn more about joining us for a church service. And remember, Christ is all.